Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound. That's a recording studio here in my home city of New Westminster, BC. Anthony Santorini is the owner, operator, and engineer there. He can record your music in the studio, mix the music that you've already recorded somewhere else, shoot videos for you, produce music with you. The list goes on. He works with all kinds of clients, and I've done multiple projects with him. That's my album, Aim to Stay, my EP, Hometown, other EPs I've done, and one more that's coming out later this year. I keep working with Anthony because I really enjoy it. He gives me all the space I need to tell my story as an artist, and he can do the same for you. We're already halfway through this year, so I bet you're cooking up something. Contact Anthony to get him to work on your music with you at 12thstreet.ca slash booking. That's 12thst.ca slash booking. To contact him, fill out the form. And when you fill out that form, make sure you tell him that the Rhythm Changes podcast sent you. Happy music making in the second half of 2022. The Moog bass, it's such a neat sound that's like all over some of my favorite music, prog rock and that kind of stuff. Like there's always some Moog bass and like, you know, the old Yes and Genesis records and Rush and... We were talking about, he said, oh yeah, I'd love to just play bass in a band. I said, man, okay, I'm gonna create this band. Happy Wednesday and coming to you from New Westminster, BC. This is the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. As the Vancouver International Jazz Festival approaches, this show is your guide to the musicians in the Vancouver jazz scene and beyond with over 50 conversations to date. Today, I have somebody who's important to me because he was my bass teacher for a brief time and he's got a new album out. That's up next. Our guest today is a multi-instrumentalist who released his second album as Quatuor André de Chance titled Après l'hiver on June 8, 2022. On the album, he plays guitar with Brad Turner on piano and keyboards, Chris Gestrin on Moog bass, and Joel Fountain on drums. He's playing tonight, Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022, at the Tangent Cafe with Brad, John Bentley, and Joe Poole. And one of his other notable Jazz Fest events is on Thursday, June 30th at Pyatt Hall with the Peggy Lee Band. You can get tickets to that now. His favorite color is orange, so of course he's welcome on this show. You can find him on his main social media platform, Facebook, under his own name, and get his new album, Après l'hiver, on Bandcamp now. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, André Lachance. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, Will. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. It's a fantastic album. If I'm thinking about it versus your first album, The Orange Challenge, the first thing that jumps out at me if I'm looking at them both is that this one is a little bit funkier and maybe a little bit more electric i mean the other one was too but would you agree with that yeah yeah absolutely it's kind of the pro a product of some of the music that i was listening to during you know during the isolation times of the of the last couple of years and uh you know like a bunch of the i really got into those those tiny desk concerts on you know npr you know okay thundercat and and uh a whole bunch of different things uh this cool pino paladino album that that was released um during that time as well and so yeah it's a bunch of different kind of music i already had in mind that while this one might be a little bit more of a studio kind of production rather than just only like a live band off the floor 
I've also, you know, been witness to this process in, in other albums that I've recorded, like even some projects with Peggy Lee and stuff where she just gets us to do these, okay, you two go do an improv and you three go do an improv. And then it's sort of, things get taken from that in the in the post-production and you know a cool little soundscape built out of that in the case of what happened here like two of those improvs are just straight off the way we played them one was a duet that i did with brad turner that came out like a little two three minute thing we didn't touch that we just we didn't edit it and uh there's another part that we did this kind of long 10 minute improv things and and then and, and out of that we took there's two sections that we ended up using at different places on the album and then i also had this other tune that we recorded which i knew i wanted to do like an acoustic take of it and then an electric take of it uh, like a solo solo guitar okay. take so but i didn't quite know how that was all going to come together whether we would just take those two and put them together or use those two pieces at different places on the album so what ended up happening is that this this improv bit that we did kind of started on the chord that the tune ends and ended on the chord that the tune begins with. Where I was able to like put the acoustic version of the tune, create this middle section with the moody improv of kind of like a tie section that ties it together, and then start the electric part afterwards. I overdubbed a bunch of different guitars, like a whole bunch of guitars, like probably five or six different tracks of some acoustic and some electric stuff. And Chris Gestrin used that as material, and he created this whole soundscape that's like a Brian Eno kind of kind of kind of moment. Like it's kind of almost like like some even some Pink Floydy kind of kind of stuff in there. And he sort of created the soundscape out of all those overdub little bits that we did under on top of the the moody thing. And so that became that that's in the title tune après l'hiver. And nice. so yeah, Chris was like huge in this whole project, like just his ears and his ideas and. It's, it's really neat to have the person who's doing the mixing, the editing, and the mastering also be the bass player in the band. Yeah. The title track, that is my favorite track, I would say. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. You have played two great gigs recently. One of them, the most recent one, was John Corsrud's Absolute Unit. How was yes. that? That was really fun. Yeah. So John, John and I, like for, for like a, I don't know, the last year in the bit, he's kind of talking, man, we should get like a soul band. Like we've been talking a lot about like that, some of that early 70s of Philly soul music, like the Spinners, the OJs and that kind of stuff, those great arrangements and horn bands. And, and John, of course, you know, he writes all this, this more like new music. Some of it's acoustic, some of it's electric, the contemporary classical, but it's got funk or Latin rhythms in there and all sorts of stuff. So trying to find a way to integrate all that stuff and so we did our first gig at, at uh, yeah atlanta lose and we're hoping and we got another one in july and well, we'll then, make sure uh, to put that on the gig list <laughs> yeah 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 it'd be interesting to see how that band grows and and how it starts to integrate soul tunes with the horns with the the more new music kind of stuff and uh, as the band evolves and, and plays a bit more but i think he's hoping to have a, a regular thing going on with it Nice. So the kind of a workshop, so we could just sort of workshop the thing. I mean, there's nothing like when you're trying to put a band together. There's nothing like playing live. There's nothing like a band or a rhythm section or anything that that's worked. Just getting the project a chance to find its sound. You know. How long have you had the quatuor? Uh, our first gig was in 2010. 
oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was that extensive. Yeah, so that's exactly what you're talking about right there, yeah. Yeah, it was for the, during the Olympics. It was the, the, uh, that whole Winterruption series that they had at uh, Performance Works during that time. So this is the same stuff that Coastal Jazz still presents in February, but they did that in the February, like the very month that the Olympics happened in Vancouver too? Yeah, and it, yeah, it was happening like ev every night pretty much throughout the Olympics at that time, if I remember correctly. Nice. And, you know, and it was sort of a, an offshoot. Like I used to have a, a trio with Chris and Brad. Like we used to do, I remember we used to play at the cellar like back around like 99 or 2000. Or I remember even playing, uh, that, like that was like the earliest stuff. And then I remember playing... Like in 2005, there or 2006, around those years, where it was just trio with Brad would play drums and Chris would play B3 and I would play guitar. And uh, okay, and it was kind of like, yeah, it was like I, I started slowly writing a couple of tunes that we would play with that group, and I, we played in the jazz festival a few times as that trio. And then I kind, of, then I don't know, just kind of the idea with Chris and I. Chris was looking for a group to. We were talking about. He said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to just play bass in a band." I said, "Man." I'm gonna create this band. So and then so yeah, we we moved uh, we moved Brad to the to the keyboard chair, Chris to the Moog chair, and got Joe to play. And that's kind of how the band was formed. And the Moog bass is like it's such a neat sound that's like all over some of my favorite music, either now or even when I was a kid uh, or teenager listening to prog rock and that kind of stuff like i'm thinking well there's always some moog bass and like you know the old yes and genesis records and rush and uh whether it was bass pedals or, or played with the left hand i'm also thinking of uh, one record that really used to love a lot was the, the jeff beck of blow by blow it's got young oh. hammer playing playing keyboard bass on some stuff and it's like it's always a sound that i really loved and then when i got in my 20s i discovered all those amazing um, early 70s Stevie Wonder records and that are still some of my absolute like Desert Island very 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 favorite records so that's kind of like with that sound in mind that I thought of you know the, of this group just to do something different because I've been playing so much other music playing acoustic bass and this like straight ahead jazz thing which is sort of people you know know me most from you know that that sort of you know gets fulfill i get to do a lot of that so it was kind of like trying to do something a little bit different i can't remember what album it's on but like my off the beaten track stevie wonder like non smash hit favorite track is called too high yeah yeah just that one seems so fun and it has that burst of energy and it just kind of keeps rolling and evolving that, that you're talking about oh yeah and super interesting harmony and his drumming is great too on all that stuff yeah oh speaking of drumming I mean, talking about like the last couple decades for you, I mean, you've been a main bass player, especially, but a main instrumentalist on the Vancouver jazz scene for quite a while now. And you've played in the Brad Turner Quartet. That's probably one of the best known groups for probably almost 30 years now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before that time, is that when you knew Claude Ranger? Yeah. Before and during that time, that time, I mean, okay, Claude yeah. was around and playing when I moved to Vancouver in 1990, and I first got to play with him in '93, I believe. Played with him a fair bit between '93 and '96, '97, a bit less after that, and he was kind of in and out of being in Vancouver a bit after that during the the, the, the last half of the of the '90s, but. Brad would, would, would pick him up and they would go play in Victoria once in a while too. They would 
do gigs at Herman's with Sean Drabbit and Terry Dean and all these people. Yeah, Claude Ranger, fascinating character in Canadian jazz, of course. Maybe some of my younger listeners aren't as familiar with him if they haven't had a direct introduction through somebody like you at Cap, etc. What was what was that like knowing him and playing with him? Well, he was, you know, there's no two people like him. Like you just like, you know, it's one of those like completely 100% dedicated artist. No compromise trying to make his playing more, you know, more sellable or more commercial, whatever commercial than jazz, you know, like like he wasn't trying to be a jack of all trades of any at any point. He was just this is what I do. This is how I play. Really, I mean, it's not just me that say this, but a lot of the elder musicians in the Canadian jazz scene that got to play with him, like Don Thompson, people like that, are like, yeah, probably the, the you know the best drummer to come out of this country, jazz drummer. It, it certainly in that in that time, like the, just he was just a unique, like he had this unique synthesis of some of the drum legends like Tony and Elvin and and different people, and he knew the history, but just an unbelievable skill level, like just. Like he, there was no, uh, as skilled with, you know, press rolls and rudiments and all that, that basic stuff as, as any drummer I've ever played with, but it was all always like this creative thing and the, the energy it's great, amazing driving time and ride symbol feel and very strong. Like we would play, like it was pretty loud, you know, um, it was like, hang on to your hat. Like this is where this tune's going to go somewhere. But also, he was a great listener. He's one of the very, very best listeners I've ever played with. In fact, when I first played with him, it was shocking to me how easy it was. I don't think anybody had really listened to me as hard up to that point that I'd played with. Like, in terms of, like, yeah, you do what you do. I'll just play around you, you know? And I was just, I was so green. I was, like, 21 years old and still going to cap at the time. And I'm just playing my beat the best I can and just staring at his ride cymbal. And, you know, it's not until like I hear, I heard recordings of it that I go, oh, he's just, just wrapping his thing around me. And if I, if I started like dragging a little bit, he, he would go play on top of the beat so the music would never miss anything and, and, and vice versa. But he just, yeah, he had this way of making me feel like my contributions were, were worth it. I mean, I was young, it's for sure, and big age and experience difference. I was just, I didn't know anything. I was just barely just getting my foot into the professional music scene. He just played with what he heard around him. It was just an amazing, amazing learning experience. I still think about him a lot, and, and I still hear that beat and that, that feeling, the, the feeling of playing with him, what that was like. I was very, very blessed to have that as kind of a formative experience, and I know that anybody certainly the young players of my generation because he liked to play with young musicians like almost like an art blakey kind of kind of thing he was doing that in toronto in the 80s and he was doing that here in vancouver when he moved here so i know that a lot of people that are kind of my generation ish of musicians that were either around vancouver or you know people like like brad terry dean like seamus sean drabbit a lot of us got the chance to play with him and sort of be mentored by him. And also, and he was such a character. Like, we all, like, idolized the guy, you know? That's a that's a cool starting point. Now, he's an interesting person to Google, too, because there's different articles that have been written about him. There's probably books, too. But yeah, go, there's go check a, There's out a great biography that Mark Miller wrote. Uh, it came out a few years ago. Uh, it's a really... Uh, Mark Miller's, like, he does the best uh, jazz 
Canadian jazz biographies. He's got a great one on Sonny Greenwich. Um, this one with on Claude uh, Ranger is, is is fantastic. It just covers. He interviews a lot of people. It's really good. There's also one uh, that came out recently about Brian Barley, who was a sax player in and around Montreal um, in the '60s and early '70s that I haven't had the chance to read yet, but um, I'm sure it's it's as as good as as all the other ones. Now. The second gig that you played recently, this was back on a Sunday in May. This was Mother's Day, I believe. Uh, you played with the Seamus Blake Quartet. Yes. How was that? That was really fun. Holy smokes! That's it's a bit of a, it's a bit another one like hang on to your hat, like the the like the <laughs> and Phil Dwyer too, who's another like force of nature kind of player. Like these guys are such like, you know, enormous personalities musically. Like just their sounds are so strong rich with like all this knowledge and possibilities and yeah it's just it's really great i was, I was really really had a great time on that playing with those guys who is on drums off the top of my head i don't remember jesse cahill right okay yeah so you're with him on drums and phil dwyer on piano yeah yeah nice yeah i mean phil phil could have played horn and bring it brought on but he just played piano that night yeah, it was great to see those guys. I hadn't seen them in a, in a, in a few years. You know, Seamus comes to town regularly and had the had the chance to play with him uh, off and on over the years. Uh, most recently, before that, it was uh, with Brad's quartet. We had him as a as, we had Seamus as a guest for a bunch of gigs and a, and a recording session back. Uh, I forget what year 2019, 2018? Yeah, there was a seller live album by Seamus that you played on that came out in I think twenty eighteen. Yeah. And there was a, there's a studio one also. Yeah, we did we did the, the the two the two or three live nights and then went right into the studio. But we recorded the live stuff as well. So the live stuff came out, uh, I think, a year after that. Oh yeah, I've seen the uh, the very very nice looking, very fancy looking promotional footage of you and them. Pl you're playing in the warehouse. Uh, yeah, when you're recording it right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job with the the video editing with that. And the, sound, and the warehouse yeah. is such an amazing space just to be in, but to, to record. It's got those beautiful old red brick walls and super high ceiling and those old giant, yeah. huge microphone stands, the old RCA microphone stands. Yeah. I want to go back to your album for a couple more things. Uh, hmm. One of them, uh, Carousel 1 and Carousel 2. What's the connection there? Tune titles. Well, theme. it's kind of like, I mean, what the, the two could have been a coda for the, for the one. In fact, that's kind of how it. I had yeah, that's how it comes it. across. Yeah, and then, but I but I thought, okay, well, let's make it like, like you know, let's make it like faster. Like I had this thing of like, it's like you're in a you know in a, in a carousel, but then the carousel starts getting faster and faster and gets kind of all swirly and stuff, and that's kind of, it starts out as a ballad, and you know they're both you know they're both in E minor and five four, and so the start the first part is 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 the more the ballad part, and then the the end part, which is kind of like the coda of it, but it's like this extended coda with a little melody at the end, kind of gets that sort of faster kind of kind of swirly thing, and again that's one I wasn't sure if I was gonna put them put them separately on the album at different times, like I was almost like thinking like a side one and a side B at some point and. But then I ended up like just okay, no, let's just put them both together. You know, the things that happened, like I had all sorts of stuff, you know, planning just the sequencing of the album. It's like, okay, like what's, how's everything going to work? Yeah. In terms of up tempo and quiet. I left, I left that as an option and I kind of figured that out later after they were 
all mixed and yeah i love that you brought up sequencing because that's the other thing i was going to ask you about is you've got the opening tune the leapfrogger which is a pretty striking tune it kind of stands out from all the other ones it's a lot it's very energetic it's got a lot going on um it's probably my second favorite track but it is in the same key as the last track right is this something you planned in terms of sequencing that the last track ends on like a b chord i think and the first track is in b is that right no but I, that's actually that's it's, i hadn't even thought of that uh but that's uh that's great it it, it, it kind of worked out it kind of made sense at the end i kind of because it, it's kind of a rocker leapfrogger i was thinking like you know, I was thinking the police, like Stuart Copeland and, and that nice. kind of stuff. And, you know, the leapfrog, like Sting, like, you know, uh, jumping way up and down or Eddie Van Halen jumping up and down, you know, like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of 80s, it's, it's a real 80s sounding tune. It's like a sort of 80s rock kind of, kind of tribute. And then the, the end tune, like the, the, the end of uh, like the drum solo part of, of, uh, of Lighthouse kind of builds into this sort of, thing and again that's one where it's like we okay added some overdubs and tried to turn it into like a like, like a rock thing and kind of as, as this building i'm kind of doing it i'm like oh man that's kind of starting to sound like like hemispheres by rush a little bit but kind of with a drum <laughs> solo it's like yeah okay let's let's just go with that and kind of so it, it ends with the rock the rocker and then kind of finishes with a rocker except for like the very last chord has like the the, the twelve string acoustic guitars and, and all that kind of stuff, and I was totally thinking like, like you know, Pink Floyd or Harmonium, this Quebec folk band that I love, that that you know, like that kind that kind of vibe, at like right at the end, just open it up on like the the folky uh, twelve string vamp, you know, uh, just for the very end. So yeah, I was, I've said that was you know, that's kind of all the the thoughts, you know, they're trying to get these different different feels and different references that aren't necessarily like. What you would find on a typical jazz record oh what a place to end off here harmonium i was trying to think if we ever talked about harmonium but i don't think we ever would have so after i left cap so after i stopped taking lessons with you i started working for this group called north shore celtic ensemble this nonprofit, and it was run by this guy claude Jiguer, who was from rimouski quebec i've had him on my podcast he was my boss for like six years and uh, he introduced me to Harmonium because the group did like violin youth groups and we had to make the arrangements for them. And we, he arranged and we played multiple tunes by Harmonium. We played oh, one yeah. called Dixie. We played yeah. one called Histoire Sans Parole. Um, yeah. We played maybe a couple other ones too, but those are the, those are the ones that those two stuck in the repertoire the longest. And I had never heard of this. Uh, Serge Fiori, I'd never heard of him. Um, yeah, and then yeah. I just dove into it and i was like wow this whole other world of harmony these people were like double triple platinum like they were selling like three four hundred thousand copies of their albums within the province of quebec like it's they were huge everyone knows that they were they were the biggest band in quebec they would play concerts outdoors in 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 on mont royal like and did like a hundred thousand people would show up like it was like like that you know that big um and i kind of went through it like a, a I don't know. I've listened to them, of course, in my teens. Like every Quebecois, you just grow up, like you know, hearing that sound on the radio, or whatever. <laughs> but um, I kind of re—I don't know. I started listening to them again a lot, like maybe like four or five years ago, uh, when they they started reissuing the the uh, Leptad, like their big sort of double album, and you know, and 
yeah, I just got into that again for some reason. Like, and the way I kind of get into music often is like I just I just put it in my car and it just stays on repeat for like weeks. <laughs> that's how <laughs> that's how I you know I, I kind of get deep into a bunch of music. Even when I you know I was learning guitar, I would like, put on a West Montgomery tape in the car, and it was like okay, that's gonna be like in there for for three months or two months. I had two tapes in my car. I had a West Montgomery tape and then i had another one with two of the schofield records the, the rough house and the uh, the live one from the late 70s for like four or five months interrupted by sports radio once in a while but every time <laughs> i was driving it, it was like that and i kind of did the same with the harmonium and serge fiori's solo record that came out like in around that time around 2016 or 2017 uh that's really great actually it's like a really beautiful album beautiful songs and wow yeah. So yeah, that makes sense because yeah, you grew up in in Quebec City, and you, around that time, that Armonium was like a huge, huge, huge thing. I think of them as like a uh, francophone hybrid of like Pink Floyd and Supertramp. <laughs> totally. And they were they admit they you know they uh, Fieri said oh no Supertramp was one of the big bands that that uh, we're into. I think I'm not sure. I think they might have even opened for them on some gigs. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, in, in that's England my favorite prog rock band would be Supertramp, probably my favorite yeah big yeah, one. yeah they had some beautiful great music oh so much fun i will ask you one more question here because you green lit it you said it was okay and we'll see if i keep it in or not it is about hockey because we're both we're both hockey fans uh it's funny yes were you ever a habs fan in your youth and in your life did you become a canucks fan only when you moved um so yeah but so i when i was like really young like my first memories of watching hockey was when I was getting babysat at my grandparents' place on their black and white TV. So this would have been in the late, I was born in 72, so this would have been like in the mid-late 70s, the great years of the Habs, right? Quebec yeah. wasn't in the National Hockey League then. So, so my first games was watching Lafleur and Schutt and Robinson and Cournoyer and that whole team. Then yeah. in 79, Quebec City joins. Right. And so then it was like, wow, okay, well, we got a team now. So we got, you know, especially like at, around 81, 82, the, the Quebec and Montreal rivalry got super, super intense because like, Quebec started having a really great team with Peter Stashny and Dale Hunter and Michel Goulet. And, 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 no, that was after. That was Later, after yeah. the early yeah the early eighties was like the whole thing with like the three Czech brothers that basically snuck in overnight and through through security and police to basically escape as refugees, escape Czechoslovakia to come and play for the Nordiques. It was a yeah. whole thing. So they had the three brothers and. Yeah, and so when I moved, and I, I was into really hockey in the eighties, and then when I then I got into music, and it was like not really into hockey for a while. But then I I got back into it like in the early nineties when and when the Canucks were on their their run, and kind of been a Canucks fan ever since. So the one hockey question I wanted to ask you, being that, so I grew up here. I'm a Leafs fan. You didn't grow up here. You're here now. You're a Canucks fan. Here's a hypothetical for you. So imagine after this, later in the summer, after you play all your great gigs at the Jazz Festival, etc., and there's free agency, you hear that JT Miller has been traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. What in return to the Vancouver Canucks would make you happy in this hypothetical? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, the Leafs, they've got a lot of great players. You've got a lot of great players. I mean, 
Morgan Riley. <laughs> I, don't uh, I, I don't know. Like, like, but you know, a, a defenseman would be good. Like, a good defenseman would be good. I think that's that would be that would take care of that. Because I, th I think the yeah, Canucks could, you know, definitely still need help on the back end. I think if they could do that, and then hopefully some of the some of these young prospects they're recruiting can can come up and cover some some holes at the forward. But I think they need to show up the defense a bit more. So if we're gonna lose JT, which is a strong possibility, I'd rather get either like amazing, amazing young prospects or like a good defenseman that's not too old, that's you know sound defensively kind of kind of player. TJ Brody, let's do it. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's gonna be a whole different team, I think, in, in in October. Like by the time the Canucks hit the ice, like it, there's gonna be a lot of changes. Yeah. Well, the Leafs have to get like one or two goalies too, so there's a lot going on there. Yes. Well, thank you for indulging me on that. Thanks for talking about so many different things and for making a fantastic new album that I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast will enjoy when they check it out. Have a great Jazz Fest, Andre. I look forward to seeing you out there. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. My pleasure, Will. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what we do here, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write. This week's article available now has a review of the new album by Jocelyn Gould, great Canadian jazz guitarist called Golden Hour. You can find that review. And if you like that, you can sign up for future editions of the free weekly article, including a list of Vancouver jazz gigs right on our homepage at rhythmchanges.ca.